And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Welcome to the Grandland Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. I am so excited because here in the New York studio, I am joined by, I believe, my first ever Oscar winner, uh, Pete Doctor, who <laughs> has been a longtime employee of Pixar, wrote and directed Up in 2009, and his new film, Inside Out, uh, is releasing on June 19th. Welcome, Pete. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I said to you on the way out of the elevator, your movie destroyed me. It is, it is a beautiful... <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. It is. It is, it is, it is an emotionally... Uh, overwhelming experience. It's a really beautiful film. Cool. Uh, I'm Thank really you. excited for people to see it. Um, I want to start with sort of a conceptual question because the movie is itself kind of conceptual. Yeah. Um, one of the struggles I have or I observe constantly in my day job as a TV critic is I see these great writers and storytellers attempting to basically illustrate interiority in a visual medium. Yeah. By developing characters over time, episode after episode, really letting us in to see how they work, how they tick. It's really hard to do. It is. You've somehow found a way to do it via an animated film because your movie is set inside of an 11-year-old girl's mind. Yeah. This is the trick of all visual storytelling, and you seem to have cracked it. How, <laughs> how, how did it appeal to you, and, and at what point did someone, maybe a voice in your own head, say, this is crazy? Well, uh, I mean, if, if we did crack it, it's thanks to a lot of amazingly smart people that I get to work with. Um, it came to me kind of just thinking about ideas to to pull from, uh, and uh, I knew there had been a lot of movies that take place in the body, yeah. but I'd never seen one or couldn't think of one at that time that had gone in the mind. And that allowed us to explore things that everyone at once had thought about in some way, shape, or right. form, but they'd never actually seen before, you know, like... Why can't I remember that guy's name? And uh, why is this st song stuck in my head? And yes. all those kind of things that we get to play with, which was the attraction of it. And at the time, I thought, this will be great. We get to make up the whole world. It's going to be easy. <laughs> right. And it was not easy at all. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever worked on. Right, because the, the movies where someone, like, everything from inner space to was a journey into the, the fantastic voyage. Yeah, yeah. Go inside of people's bodies. Uh -huh. We all kind of know what a cell looks like or yeah. a heart looks like. Yeah. You are getting immediately, it's very figurative and imaginative because you have to take these concepts, these emotions, joy, disgust, sadness, memory, and give them form and give them life. Yeah, and we had no, like, you know, with Nemo, you could look at a picture of a fish and at least have kind of a place to start. Right. And if it goes too far off from that, you don't recognize it as a fish anymore and you know, okay, pull back. For us, we had nothing like that. Um, we had to just kind of... Make it up. So where do you start? Does it does it start in practical terms, like physically mapping the space of the movie, or does it start in much more imaginative terms, like I'd like to? I wonder what joy looks like. It was really a back and forth. I mean, I guess um, for this one, this film that is, the characters kind of seem to show up first. So uh, I knew from the get go uh, that I was interested in talking about growing up. My this film was inspired by watching my daughter who was about 11 at the time we started, and she was... Uh, yeah, uh, and she's now 35. Yeah, exactly. No, she's 16 now. Okay. But, um, she was, if you saw Up, yes. she was the voice of young Ellie at the beginning of oh, the film. Nice. So she was kind of like that character where she was really spunky and yeah. you know, full of uh, energy and opinions and things. And then she got a little older and she became kind of more quiet and she changed. And I realized, I, I remember going through that my own, in my own life. That's yeah. a difficult time for most people. Yes. Maybe this film could explore why that happens, what's going on in our heads, you know. Well, the, the movie, the thing that really struck me about the movie is that it treats that transformation with such respect. 
you know, and, and I feel like that's, that's rare and a very special thing. It doesn't a- approach, you know, often we, when we're struck with people who are, are moody or quote-unquote being difficult, yeah. it's very hard to have empathy for that person. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine, you know, I'm a parent of a young child, but if, if, the, if that just boundless joy ever turned into something else, I imagine it would be hard not to take it personally, at least at first. Yeah, yeah. Yet you came at it with a very generous point of view. Well, yeah, and, and, and we, we worked that really hard because if you, if you make fun of it or, uh, you know, make it off-putting, yeah. you really run the risk of having people kind of distance and pull back from the film and they don't engage. You know, the film is told from a parent's point of view. Joy is kind of the surrogate parent uh, and she goes in and she she loves this kid. So yes. we as an audience member have to love her too. Yes. If we think, oh, she's she's such a pain, why, you know, then you're just you're not in her shoes. You don't want what Joy wants. But the amazing decision that you make and I I, I read it, you mentioned this in the New York Times article, but it might be worth repeating again was the realization that Joy's partner in getting Riley from one phase of her life to the next would have to be sadness. That sadness was there for a reason, and she's not a she's not a villain. Yeah, and that took some doing too. But originally, we had we had paired Joy with fear, right? Mainly because looking back at our our own lives, and I know this is true for me, is in junior high, large percentage of my decisions were made out of fear. So, right. uh, so we thought, okay, this is going to be entertaining. We can put these guys together and really see uh, some fun. Uh, and and hopefully it'll resonate with people. As it turned out, you know, we got to the third act, and uh, this was like three years into making the film. Yeah, and uh, I was realizing, oh no, I don't know what this, what is joy now at the end of the movie, which is you know this is like your basic story structure kind of stuff. Yeah, she has gone through this whole journey. She's learned something. She's yeah. going to go back to the 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 real world or her whatever you call it, the, the where she started. Headquarters. Yeah, and and now do. What? I, yeah. I don't know. And that's where I realized I'm screwed. <laughs> I, well, I've failed to find the core of this movie. Well, when you reach that point, you've been working on it for a while, just nuts and bolts. I'm curious, what does that mean in terms of working on it? Does that obviously you've been, you've been slaving away on the script and their character designs? And yeah. I, I don't know if you've done voices yet, but has the movie been animated up to that point? Has, have there been... I, I mean, I don't even have the language to describe what maybe you have on paper or on the screen at that point. Yeah, no, no, it's a good question. Um, out of the, you know, any film we work on, this is fairly typical, about five years. So I would say the first three, three and a half is writing and rewriting and rewriting and right. rewriting. And that's not only in the in the form of words, but also in the form of pictures. Right. So we draw almost like a comic book version of the movie. Um, and then we put it with temporary dialogue and music and sound effects just to give it a road test. See if yeah, it plays. To see, if, see how it, yeah. it comes alive. And then we play it, and we all sit and watch it, and I, I drag in, like, John Lasseter and yeah. Andrew Stanton and all the other guys who are making their own movies in a similar way. Uh, they get to sit and watch my movie, uh, and then we all get upstairs and we talk about what worked and what didn't. And a large percentage of the conversation is what didn't work. Sure. Um, and a lot of uh, great suggestions are offered up. Sometimes they're not quite right, and we refine and so on but then we go back rewrite redraw it recut it and all that stuff and that goes on and on i think this film we did about eight screenings wow versions of that and some of them are like from the beginning the first couple are pretty radically different mm-hmm. same idea 11 year old girl going in her head but the journey very different and it was about year three that uh, as i was talking about that i realized this movie is not about fear Right. It's about joy. Uh, and and really, the sort of epiphany came when I was at a real down point where I was I was thinking I've I've failed to land this. You know, what if I just 
give up and move to the North Pole or something. Uh, what would I miss, you know? And I know I miss, you know, walking into work every day and, and my house and stuff. But really what I miss is probably the same thing everybody would yeah. is friendship, you know, your close relationships. And it sort of hit me at that point that the friendships that feel deepest to me are not the ones that have just all been fun and games. They're the ones that we have suffered together. Yeah. You know, we have had sadness, intense. We've uh, been angry with each other. I mean, you think of your spouse or, or people like this. You've gone through all the range of emotions, and somehow that is what makes that stronger, the that relationship. Yeah. And I realized this is the subject matter of the film that I'm working on. It's got to talk to yeah. this, you know. So we went back and we retooled the whole thing with joy and sadness together. And, of course, sadness worked out great for us because it's something that we don't really want in our lives. We don't want to feel sad. You want to we, push it away yeah. in, in our lives and in entertainment often, too. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our struggle then was to uh, create just the right balance and, and not see it coming and uh, not get too, you know, immersed in it and all that. So. There's yeah. also uh, there's something that's talked about a lot in psychology is this idea of allowing space to mourn things. You know that that thing you have to accept the idea of impermanence in order to be content on a basic level. Yeah, and that was so much written into the DNA of this film in a way that I found really surprising and really again very moving. There's uh, Riley has in her head as you've illustrated it, there are core memories on these various islands that define uh -huh. her personality. Uh -huh. And over the course of the movie, some of those islands fall apart. Yeah. some are restored. Right. Um, but as they fall apart, it, it really feels, it's very moving, um, but that in, in itself sort of echoes the journey of the characters and that we have to accept it, we have to watch this happen, and then maybe something else can come to take its place. I mean, there's a real psychology behind a lot of the choices you've made artistically here. Yeah, yeah, and that, that kind of came full circle. It was interesting because as, as I look back through my own photos, you know, that I took of our process, yeah. the very beginning was very intuitive and talking about loss. I always feel like... Without loss, you don't have real depth to stories. Yeah. Um, and watching my daughter and thinking about my own childhood, there is a sense of loss. There's something that has gone forever that you cannot go back to. We right. know too much now. Yes. And uh, that is sad, but it's also necessary and beautiful and all those things. And it's very complex, and that's the stuff I think good stories are made of when it's not simplistic, yes or no, bad, good. Yes. It's much more nuanced. So that was a, a, a great thing just right off the bat. But then, uh, as is the case of every film we do, we do a lot of research. And in this case, we talked to psychologists, yeah. neurologists, uh, people like this. And one of the big things that was a huge help for us was finding out the purpose of emotions. And it was not intuitive at wow. first. Like every emotion you have has a legitimate reason for existing and an assistance to you. In terms of evolutionarily? Yeah, exactly. Or? In fact, if you think about it, like if it didn't serve a purpose, it probably would be breeded out right. you know, somewhere along the way. So fear, obviously, some of them are more obvious, like fear. You know, it keeps you safe, keeps you from taking unnecessary risks. And in fact, uncertainty is kind of the trigger for fear. Like if you are not sure about something, that's right. when fear arises. Anger is kind of like, uh, at first I thought it was just a negative, like gets you right. into trouble, road rage and things. And um, psychologists told us, well, uh, was this Darwin? Anyway, uh, they talked about it, basically uh, unfairness. And so if you feel like you're getting ripped off, taken mm -hmm. advantage of, that's what's going to incite anger. Hmm. And uh, Paul Ekman, who was one of the psychologists we talked to, he said it's a real big motivator for social justice. 
which I was like, well, what, really? Right. Yeah, so if you feel angry that someone across the world is getting ripped off, that's going to incite you to write a check or do volunteer work or all this. So it can be a very uh, positive, uh, motivating source. I've been told by people that anger is as much a connector between people as, as love. I mean, that it ties you to people. Uh, and sometimes you have to let go of that for, yeah. for whatever reason. But it, it, all of these are about connecting and interacting with the world in a very Absolutely. basic way. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you think about it, hate is not the opposite of love. No, hate. Because you, know, you clearly still are devoting a lot of time <laughs> to this person. You're spending you all your hate. energy doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, have you shown this to your daughter and your own kids? Have they seen the film? And, and do they recognize bits of themselves? Do they, do they validate the parental point of view that, that you've imbued the movie with in any way? It's interesting. My, I don't think – so my daughter is now 16. She uh, saw the movie for the first time and she walked out and said, eh, good movie, Dad. You know, for a teenager, kind of, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was high praise. That is five stars. <laughs> and then more recently saw it again and admitted that she actually uh, teared up at certain points. So that is pretty awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, speaking of amazing, I, I have to bring up Amy Poehler's voice performance oh, in yeah, this role fantastic. because she plays Joy. Yeah. And she's so astonishing in this role. I don't know if I can imagine anyone else on the planet better able to communicate pure positivity <laughs> but without, naive, without uh, being naive. Yeah, you know, she 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 knows what's up, but she's still enthusiastic, and it's it, it's very compelling and pure. I I couldn't imagine you being able to even voice this role without her. It's a very nuanced thing, yeah. And, and early attempts at writing for Joy, you kind of wanted to punch her in the face because she's annoying. Like if if someone's just always like, "Come on, guys, we can do it." Like yeah, that's to some degree that's Joy, but it's also phony, right? Yes, and I think that's. We, we were very upfront when we met Amy and, and talked to her about the project and said, we're struggling with this because yeah. of that. And she said, yeah, I think I can help you. you know, she was very self-aware of what she brings to the table as, a, as an actor. Very much so. Um, so uh, it was fantastic working with her. Really, what we did the first day of working with her, we didn't even record. We just sat at a table and wrote. And so we would read through scenes, and she'd go, well, how about here she says this, or what, uh, what about this? Maybe yeah. we do an alt with this. So we just uh, – she was a great collaborator in, in a lot of different ways. And the, generally, do you record the dialogue once you have the voice actors and the script that you're comfortable with? Do you record that? Is that concurrent with the animation, or is it, pr- is it before the animation so you can animate the, 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 the sound? Yeah, right. right. We, we record first, and then the animators uh, – well – I'll go through all the steps. We record, and then the uh, editor will sit and select from the, like 15 the takes, takes or whatever. Right. And sometimes that's a, a mishmash of, oh, it's the word the from this yeah. take and you know something else from this. And the, it's put together in a very seamless way. It's pretty amazing. Then the animators listen to that over and over and over, and they're in, uh, inspired by it, uh, mainly like attitude, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, because you, you, if you think about it, like just from an acting standpoint, dialogue is a secondary effect. Yes. In the same way my gesture or, or, or expression is of some inner feeling. Yes. And so they're trying to get back to that same feeling that the actor felt as they delivered the line. Yeah. So that they can then create the movement and the expression and the gestures. Yes. Well, it's beautifully done. Um, oh, I, I, we're, I, I know you have to go do many other interviews just like this. Um, I did have to ask you since I have you here. Yeah. One thing that I'm fascinated by, uh, just full stop, is what I've heard people refer to as the Pixar process uh, mm. in terms of how you generate scripts, how you work, workshop uh, every bit of story. 
Um, I had Simon Rich on my show, and, oh, and cool. I know he's been experienced. He's he's a veteran of the process, but uh-huh. he was sworn to secrecy. He could tell me nothing. <laughs> I was curious if you could give me any even broad insight into what 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 am I talking about when I say this Pixar process? Is it like a television writers' room? Is it more aggressive, less aggressive, more collaborative? Is it wh- mm. what makes it? distinctly Pixar, where these people come out of it with stars in their eyes and new ideas of story just stuck in their head? Well, I think it's a fairly f- positive room. It's not a hard room. It's like <clears throat> everybody... And it really depends on the number, the, the people, the right. attitude of the people that are in there. But um, in a nutshell, so we, we talked a little bit about how we create these kind of placeholder versions of the film so yes. we can screen it. Then we have what we sort of somewhat pompously referred to as a brain trust screening. And uh, it's... John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, right. all these other filmmakers that come into the room and talk about what worked and what didn't. And the reason that works so well is because everybody's focused on the best story possible. Yes. At the beginning of the process, it's very interesting, um, when the film is not clear in what it's trying to say, you'll get a lot of different solutions going off in different direction. Brad Bird will be trying to pull it to kind of what the Brad Bird version of the film yeah. would be and John Lasseter version and things. And then as you move along and it's more and more clear what the story is trying to be, everybody's a little bit more laser focused on what that is. Then, and this is where it gets interesting because you walk out of that room with sometimes if you know dozens and dozens of ideas, sometimes very in direct opposition to each other. Yeah. So it's ultimately up to me and my small group of collaborators to figure out which of those ideas work, which do we feel good about, which were maybe the right idea but the wrong solution, and then we workshop it and rework it. So it's almost like a story funnel, the biggest ideas and possibilities, and then smaller groups, smaller groups, down to the ultimate decider. And the yeah, gonna go. right, and then it'll be me or some one of the other writers who's literally putting it down on paper. Right. And then uh, it goes out to story and back out through the whole process again. I, I wish we had more time so I could ask you specifically what the Pete Doctor version is of the Andrew Stanton and Brad Bird movies, because I would imagine they're the ones that leave me in tears after 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know if that's particularly <laughs> your brand, but if there's something else to it well yeah i mean i don't i I don't know that i've really analyzed my own thing because i i feel like it sort of kills it i just approach it intuitively and i'm kind of i feel like i'm well paired with someone who uh understands story structure in a deeper way like when you read those books about like you know right page 22 we need to save the cat all these things yeah i kind of like i read that stuff and i instantly forget it because i just (laughs) like i don't know this seems interesting let's go that way yeah um so anyway that's i think i I feel like uh, the movies I've worked on are more discovered than made. Like, I have an idea of what they are, but then along the way, I find all this other stuff. Well, that's what Inside Out is to me in a nutshell. I mean, it's, 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 it's an intuitive movie. It's, it, there's a lot of structure and, and very smart ideas, like the, the, the mechanism of the mind, but there's room for magic within it and room for emotion. Oh, cool. and it's, just, it's very striking. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me about it, Pete Doctor. Inside Out, June 19th, an amazing movie. Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.